Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Diving Board Podcast. I'm your host, Jill, and thank you so much for joining me on another very special pop culture deep dive here in the deep end. I am so happy to be back in the deep end with all of you. I have not talked to you all since Halloween, which is crazy. I feel like November went by so fast. I was traveling for work pretty much every week of November. And then the last week of November, if you follow the diving board Instagram, I was in Iceland for a week. So I did another solo trip on my own to Iceland and it was fantastic. It was so great. I think 1% of diving board listeners listen in Iceland. So hi, everybody, if you're listening. But it was amazing. But the month went by so, so quickly because I just feel like I was go, go, go. So it's been so long since we talked and I'm so happy to be back. Um, It's been an interesting couple of weeks, well, few weeks now for diving boards since I released the Holly and Kendra episode. There was definitely... um, some controversy revolving that episode. And I've never really had controversy around diving board before because I feel like it's just a nice exclusive group of divers. But that very quickly became the most listened to episode of diving board. And I got a lot of new divers from them. So welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, But also some backlash. I uh, got some messages actually on um, Holly and Bridget's podcast Patreon. Someone went and found my comments and commented under that and said they disagreed with me. And I invited them to come onto the podcast. I was like, please DM me on Instagram, but never heard from them. Um, <laughs> I got my first one star rating and my first two star rating. So uh, it was kind of bummed out. I lost my five star rating because I think that, that uh, episode just kind of ruffled some feathers. So I, uh, yeah, definitely some some controversy. There was a give and take because like I said, it brought a lot of amazing new divers, but also some people who I wasn't exactly their cup of tea. So at first I was like, ooh, because like I said, I had more of just a smaller group of listeners and we were all kind of most likely on the same page for the most part. And when I saw that there was backlash and everything, um, I was a little bit taken aback. But then I realized I was like, this is kind of like the first scandal that diving board has ever had. And then I started kind of living for it because, like, you know, I love a scandal and being a part of one is actually kind of fun. So it's all about perspective, because when I looked at it from a different angle, I actually was kind of excited. So diving boards, first scandal, baby's first scandal. I am actually, uh, like I said, living for it. It's kind of everything. So thank you all, though, who listened to that and had some positive feedback. I don't always need positive feedback. Don't get me wrong. But the DMs are always open. They've never not been open. And no one's ever messaged me about it. They just leave these one star ratings. It's like we could talk about this. I'm totally open to other viewpoints. But anyway, we had to we had to address it. And um, like I said, I love it. But welcome to the new divers. We're so happy to have you here. Um, Speaking of amazing divers, though, I want to talk about 
the inspiration for today's episode. After I released the Holly and Kendra episode, I got an amazing message from a diver named Raid in Switzerland. Raid, if I'm mispronouncing your name, I'm so sorry, but the, the sentiment is still there. Don't worry. But and, and let me know if I'm mispronouncing it. Just um, just message me, please. But um, I got an amazing message from Raid, who lives in Switzerland, and he is an amazing diver because I had mentioned in that episode that diving board is very popular in Switzerland. And I wasn't expecting that at all when I got that email, but I was over the moon happy because one of the most amazing places in the world. So I was so happy that our Swiss divers were coming through so strong. And Raid messaged me and he's like, well, I actually may have something to do with that and the popularity of diving board in Switzerland. Because he's like, when I started listening to diving board, I needed to discuss the episodes with people I knew, but English speaking podcasts aren't that popular in Switzerland. So nobody had listened to diving board before. So he's like, I was telling my friends to listen to it, my classmates, my colleagues, just so I could discuss it with them. So he's like, I think that's why uh, the popularity in Switzerland grew so much, which I love Raid's influence. I love that he's so influential in Switzerland. And I really could not ask for a better brand ambassador in Switzerland. So thank you so much, Raid. It was literally the most amazing message I've ever gotten. And when I started Diving Board, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would get a message like that. And it was just so, so sweet. And I just thank you all for whenever you message me, it means so much to me. I automatically screenshot it and send it to my friends or literally show my boss at work or my sister or my mom. It's just, it means so, so much to me. So thank you all so much. Like I said, we have so many great international divers. We have Trisha in Ireland, Peter in Ireland, so many people in Australia. We have a lot of Canadian divers and you you guys are just seriously amazing. Actually, Diving Board, only half of the listeners come from the United States, which I love because I like to think of Diving Board as a citizen of the world. So it's just so, so amazing to me. But don't get me wrong. I love the domestic divers as well. Our American divers, Liz, Christina, of course, my friends and family who listen, you all are amazing. This is just, I'm looking back on this year of diving board and I'm reflective and all of you are just like so amazing. It's been such a good year for diving board and I've got to know so many amazing people. And especially when the international divers messaged me, I'm just like, I want to come visit all of you like in the least creepiest way possible. (laughs) I just like traveling and I just want to visit all of these amazing divers because you all live in amazing places and you you just seem so interesting and I just I it sounds so creepy but I'm like oh, I want to come visit you all but uh you're probably all like no please please stay where you are <laughs> like alerting customs as you're listening to this but everyone just sounds so amazing so thank you all uh seriously so so much it means so much to me But uh, I do have a point to this because when Raid messaged me, I told him, I was like, let me know what you want to hear. And he's like, okay, I really have a soft spot for dating shows of the early 2000s. And I have a soft spot for of love shows and Tiffany Pollard. And I was like, oh my gosh, so do I. I could talk about it for hours. And 
honestly, I intend to on the Diving Board podcast eventually. But um, I was like, so do I. But I was like, yes, I want to do an episode on that. And I've been meaning to because a few people, my friends and a few people have suggested it before. And my boss at my bartending job, he's like, when are you going to cover the Of Love shows? And I was like, I don't know how to format it. I was like, I, I just don't know how to do an episode on it. And But when Raid said, you should do an episode on that, I'm like, okay, I need to buckle down and outline this episode and get this out because it's such an amazing topic. I know quite a bit about it because I love these shows and we're finally here discussing it. It's funny. I actually outlined this episode. I was very jet lagged in Iceland. I was up at like 3 a.m. and decided, okay, I'm up. Nothing really to do. Let's outline the episode. So only here on the Diving Board podcast will you get (laughs) inspiration from being up in the middle of the night and outlining a podcast episode. So let's get into it without further ado. Um, I just want to preface that this is more of a broader episode of the Of Love shows. There, This is going to talk about how they started, touch on um, each of the shows and the spinoffs, and then also tell the story of why uh, they ultimately ended, because I don't think a lot of people know that story, and it is absolutely insane. So definitely we're going to talk about it. If you, like I said, this is more broad, this is more high level. If you would like to get more granular and deep dive on each individual show, I am totally open and willing to do that. Um, But I just want to gauge your interest because I know a lot about these shows and I've been rewatching them and watching every interview for the last, gosh, like 15 years, almost 20 years. Yikes. But I, I know a lot about them and it requires very minimal research on my part. So I can get those out quickly. So just uh, so just let me know. I just want to gauge your interest. So we're going to start broad and then we'll deep dive if you would like. But without further ado, let's get into it. Let's start at the tippity top of the Of Love shows and why they started. So the Of Love shows, they're actually multiple spinoffs of spinoffs of spinoffs of spinoffs until it just spun out completely out of control to create literally some of the most iconic shows in the history of television and some of the most successful shows in the history of television. So I'm so excited to get into it. Um, The true genesis and origin of these shows was a show called The Surreal Life. Now, this was on VH1, and it really was a real world type concept. But instead of, you know, seven strangers, it was a group of B-list or C-list celebrities or celebrities who were A-list at one time, but their heyday is long past. So they put all of these random celebrities in a house together for a few days and just amazing television would happen because this show was amazing because you had Vanilla Ice in a house with Tammy Faye. You're not going to get that on any other show or China Doll, you know, the wrestler. She would be in a house with Vern Troyer. It was it was amazing TV. But the true peak came on Surreal Life season three. And this was such an amazing cast because you have Dave Coulier, Uncle Joey from Full House. Uh, You had Charo. 
Jordan Knight from New Kids on the Block, one of my crushes as a kid. But the pinnacle, of course, was Flavor Flav and Brigitte Nielsen. Now, Flavor Flav was the hype man for the group Public Enemy, and Brigitte Nielsen was an actress. She was in Rocky IV. I know she was in Red Sonia, but she was really most infamous for being married to Sylvester Stallone for a few years. And her settlement was she got a $6 million settlement in her divorce. And that was just very big news at the time because she was kind of milking Sylvester Stallone dry with this uh, divorce settlement. But she was also um, an international queen. She's Danish. And she had released a few pretty popular um, dance songs, pop songs under the pseudonym Gite. So she was just a massive personality. And you know, Flavor Flav is a massive personality. So they were so funny together. They were just so, so good. Like they were so physically different because he's so tiny and she's so tall and they really were the odd couple, but they had such insane chemistry and they clearly really, really liked each other. So a fling kind of developed before our very eyes in this romance. And Brigitte would get jealous if Flav would give other people attention. It was just so crazy to see Brigitte Nielsen and Flavor Flav just get along so well and see this romance, like I said, blossom. And like I said, this still holds up. I think I watched it on like Tubi TV. I can't remember where I watched this real life recently. Maybe it was just YouTube, but it is still such good television. It is so funny. Their dynamic is hilarious. And though they were already stars, technically, I mean, you have to be famous to get on that show. They were really the breakout stars of the surreal life. And people wanted to see more of their dynamic because, like I said, it was such good TV. So in January of 2005, they released their spinoff called Strange Love. And again, this chronicled their crazy romance and their fling together uh, and all of their little adventures for the season. But eventually, Brigitte chose her boyfriend at the time. I think they're married now. And uh, Flav was the forlorn, heartbroken man because the woman, the love of his life, chose another man. So he was left all by himself and um, or so the story goes for television. So obviously people wanted to see him find love because for this real life three and strange love, we had fallen in love with Flavor Flav and we wanted to see him find his romance, his next strange love. So of course this was the absolute perfect setup because like I said, people really liked Flav and they wanted to see him find love and they wanted to see more of him because he has a great personality. So it was a natural progression to have him launch his dating show and thus Flavor of Love was born. So Flavor of Love debuted uh, in the beginning of 2006, and it was in the style of The Bachelor, where there'd be a group of women vying for Flav's love, and he would eliminate women each week until one lucky lady remained. And instead of a rose ceremony each week, there would be a clock ceremony, and each woman would get their clock, because you know Flavor Flav always wore the big clocks around his neck, or still does, and he would say, you know what time it is. But honestly, that's kind of where the similarities to the show The Bachelor kind of ended. I mean, well, The Bachelor may be crazy. I haven't watched The Bachelor in the, the last time I watched The Bachelor literally was the first season in like 1999 or was it the year 2000? 
I never really got into The Bachelor, but I really liked the first season. I used to watch it because my mom... Um, she never allowed TVs in our rooms. And this is something like I can agree with as I get older. I used to hate it when I was a kid, but I understand where she was coming from. She's like, I'll never see you if you have a TV in your room. So you have to come and watch it with everybody else so that you're around the family. And I was like, okay, I like, I hated it at the time, but now I get it. But I, there used to be this old TV in the basement, uh, in my parents' basement. And I brought it in to my room and I had convinced my parents like, oh, it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work. So I covered it in like Britney Spears stickers and would use it and would use it as a stand or something like that. But the TV worked. And these were the days where you could plug a television in and watch TV, which is insane to think about. Like you just put the plug in and immediately turned it on and there was a television show. That is crazy to think about. But I did that. And my friend who lived next door to me, she's like, you have to watch The Bachelor. So I would watch it really quiet on that old TV in my room. And that was when I watched The Bachelor. So I don't know, maybe it's progressed. I haven't watched it in a really long time because I preferred the lower brow variety, which were the of love shows. So, um, and I think that's what made these shows so funny and likable is because it was a little lower brow, but it was relatable and funny because Flav, he really stayed true to himself and he didn't tone it down for TV at all. He, he was loud. He was hilarious. He flat out said, I'm not good with names, so I'm going to give you all nicknames because I'll never remember your real names. He had his cat catchphrases. He would wear his outlandish outfits. Um, I remember once he took uh, it was in the first season. He took a contestant, Sweetie was her name, out for a really fancy dinner. And he was like, I'm going to take you to my favorite spot. They pull up to Red Lobster. And she's like, Red Lobster? And he's like, yeah, this is like my favorite restaurant, which I can totally relate because I love an Olive Garden moment. Like, I love the Olive Garden so much. I have traveled this world and there is nothing that hits as hard as a five cheese ziti from the Olive Garden. I, I love it. You know, when you're there, you're family. So I totally get that. And that's what I love about it is Flav was completely authentically himself. And I think that's why we resonated. One of the reasons we resonated with this show, because they weren't trying to be anybody. They weren't. So it was relatable. It was fun. But this is not a girls next door moment where, uh, you know, how, how they used to say to have, you know, you could put any three girls here and it's still going to be as popular because we're only watching it for half. No, it's the girls who make the show what it is. And these contestants were obviously the backbone of the show. They were hilarious. We had Goldie, we had Hottie, we had Hoops, and they were just, they were amazing. We loved to see these women. But the, the absolute breakout star of Flavor of Love, and truly any of these of love shows, was of course Tiffany New York Pollard. And I always say too to people who were younger at the time, and they didn't realize how different the road to fame was. If you like, weren't an actress or a model or an amazing singer or had some crazy talent, you it was very difficult to get famous. It wasn't like, oh, I could create an Instagram and get a following or a TikTok and get a following. These were really some of the only options that you had to get famous if you weren't like immensely talented or you know, a Nepo baby, whatever. 
So you had to take these opportunities to gain fame. And New York took it and ran with it. I mean, she is an icon. And New York was there from the beginning, from the first season. And the way these women, I rewatched the show recently, the way these women would just let her get under their skin is just next level. These women would always take New York's bait. And I don't think New York went into the show wanting to be quote unquote the villain, but she didn't want to make friends with any of the other women. Like you can see that in the um, first couple of episodes of Flavor of Love, she's kind of shy, which is such a departure of who we know today. But she was kind of shy and kept to herself and just didn't really want to be friends with them. And they were so offended by that. (laughs) Like it bothered them so much that she just didn't want to be involved with them. And it was kind of amazing because like I said, she just had this way of bothering them so much and getting under their skin. And they would, like I said, always would take the bait. But New York gave us so many iconic moments. And Tiffany Pollard, I mean, she maintains today that she wasn't playing a character. And I don't think that's 100% true because she's just so over the top, which I don't think that's who she is in her everyday life, but she played it so well. And that's why we love her so much. Like I said, she took this opportunity of the show and just ran with it. And I think most of us have our favorite New York gif, a reaction gif, or a meme of New York. Like there's that iconic meme of her on the bed with the sunglasses on, staring off into space, which really says so much without saying anything at all. And we also have um, iconic Beyonce, 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 (laughs) like that moment when Hottie says that all of her friends at home tell her that she looks like Beyonce. And that's why all of the girls in the house are jealous of her. And that's why we get Beyonce. You look like Luther Vandross. <laughs> it's like, so good. My favorite New York moment is <laughs> when she's going down. It's one of the first episodes and she's going down to the breakfast table and all of the girls are around the breakfast table. And, um, She's like, good morning, good morning, good morning. <laughs> Not you. You can choke. And that is like one of my favorite moments. And honestly, if I could insert this, I don't think I can. I think it's a copyright thing, but I would insert these clips because it's a lot funnier than when I say it. But or can we talk about when she came back on season two, when Flav brought her back into the competition? Because first she was just kind of there to kind of size up the new girls and kind of get under their skin. Because remember when she told Buck Wild at that fashion or that uh, photo shoot that she looked like a fairy princess who resides over the pits of hell. (laughs) Or like, like I said, she would get these shows or she would get these girls so riled up. And even like Buck Wild said, like, I will not be in this house. She eliminated herself because New York was coming back. Like she would just get these girls so riled up, so under their skin. I would be like the worst TV because I would just be giggling so much at New York's just antics. Like I would not be giving into any of this because I would just find it so funny. But like I said, she, when she came back onto the show, it ruffled the feathers of all of those women. And, but that was just such incredible television. I'll never forget watching that live in real time. And when that episode aired and Flav brought the box back and like blew the dust off of it and took New York's clock out. 
just insane, insane television. And I mean, even though New York was the villain, she was still so devoted to winning Flav. And that's why she was so excited to get back into the competition because there still was that chemistry, quote unquote chemistry for the show. And she wanted another chance of winning his love. And whether or not she was actually in love with him, uh, this gave her villain character some vulnerability, and it humanized her. So it made her more likable, even though she could be really, really mean to people. I swear, I could write a dissertation just on Tiffany New York Pollard and just the genius of her on these shows. Because remember when she got so upset when her parents first came and her mom, Sister Patterson, immediately started fighting with Flav, like immediately when they got into the house, like Big Rick had to split them up. It was such a big fight. And she was so upset. She was crying because she thought it ruined her chance of a flave because her character, or if it was her, whatever, she really was in love with him. Like New York, the character, was very, very in love with Flav. And we have to talk about Sister Patterson too, because the layer of Sister Patterson is so good because she was the only one who could knock New York down to size. Because on Flavor of Love One, New York was terrorizing the girls, and then Sister Patterson, her mom, comes and immediately puts New York in her place. And I feel like that's what we were all waiting for all season. So it was just so genius. I wish I could talk to Tiffany Pollard just offline, off the record, and be like, did you guys plan this? Or was this just all happenstance? Because it was so, so good. And I could spend analyzing the brilliance of New York because she's so funny. And she would put herself in situations that allowed the viewer to laugh with her. And also she allowed us to laugh at her. And she kind of gave us that permission because she would put herself in these crazy situations. Like she would get into that hot air balloon on Isle of New York one, where she's like freaking out of heights or remember and flavor of love two, where she was on the horseback riding with Flav and she almost fell off the horse. <laughs> it was just like the comedic timing was just so fun. And it made you want to see her more and more, even though she could be um, really, really nasty to these women. But all of this combined really made the perfect reality TV character. And she really is the blueprint. And that's why we always, we loved to hate her, but we always rooted for her because we wanted to see more of her. Because usually the villain, the villain gets one season and you just kind of think like, remember that person? But we couldn't really get enough of New York. And that's why, like I said, we rooted her for her in certain situations, like the spit heard round the world with trash pumpkin. I still am appalled. And it's like almost 20 years later when Pumpkin was getting eliminated and she goes up to New York and spits in her face. I still, I mean, obviously I know the the uh, ending of all of this, but every time I watch that, I'm still like rooting for New York to get her, like get her because I would be New York. I would be barreling over that security if someone spat in my face. It's just crazy because th those moments, like I said, we rooted for her because she did have those moments of vulnerability. So all of that together just made the um, perfect character. Like even think about when Flav brought her back on season two only to pick Delicious at the end. Spoiler alert. Sorry, the show came out 
17 years ago. I'm sorry, but he picks delicious at the end and New York goes, why did you bring me back? Like, why did you even bring me back? And I think we're all on her side because she pulled on our heartstrings that she was in the limo crying about how she wanted to find love. And here you see like Flav is kind of the actual villain. Like, why are you wasting this girl's time? So you wanted to see her win, even if she could be really, really mean. And but she was just like I said, the blueprint. She's iconic. Like nobody does it like New York. And that is why she's still relevant to this day. And the combination of New York and the other women and of course, Flav, um, it completely paid off in the ratings because seven and a half million viewers tuned into the finale of season two of Flavor of Love. And that is the second most watched non-sports cable program in 2006. So that is insane. The second most watched show for the year of 2006. And it was by far the most watched show ever on VH1. And putting that into perspective, I think the VPR, Vanderpump Rules Reunion, had 4.6 million viewers this year, which was the most viewers the show had ever gotten. And that was a national news story. It was all over. You could not escape Scandaval. So that was 4.6 million viewers. Flavor of Love had three more million viewers than that. So it's just, it, it shows the absolute level of Flavor of Love. And I think, like, when I think about the Housewives, I think Real Housewives of Atlanta uh, is the most um, watched Housewives show ever. And I think in their prime season six, it was like five million viewers an episode, which is insane. I mean, that's an amazing season. But still, Flavor of Love was getting several, like, several more million viewers than that. So these shows were massive. So obviously this had become a cash cow and people wanted in on this. So Brett Michaels from Poison uh, approaches VH1 to do his own spinoff. So at this point, we're a spinoff of a spinoff of a spinoff. And Brett's show was going to be literally the exact same formula as Flav's, but instead of hip hop, it was going to be more rock and roll. And this was called Rock of Love. But when I say the same formula, there are a lot of parallels, direct parallels uh, of Flavor of Love. Like Flav had Big Rick as his security. Uh, Brett has Big John. They had some of the same episodes of like meeting the exes, meeting the parents. There was also a villain, Lacey Skulls. And Lacey, the villain of Rock of Love, she says her inspiration was New York. So lots of parallels. So they had their work cut out for them to make a unique show. And by God, they did. I love Rock of Love so much. And I think it's because I'm a Brett Michaels apologist. And now I'm going to get a million one-star ratings. But I, I know he could be creepy on that show. But so is every other guy who hosted an Of Love show. They can be kind of creepy because all these women are throwing themselves at them. And they are obviously ready to accept them with open arms. But I like Brett's because I really think of all the men, he really wanted to genuinely get to know these women. And he was the only one on these shows who didn't give them nicknames. Like he actually wanted to learn their real names. And that is a big deal to me because I, if I were actually on there trying to find love, I would want them to get to know me. I'd want them to get to know Jill, me as Jill, not like some random nickname that they gave me for some like random physical quality I had. 
have. Like I like that about Brett. And he would actually ask them about their interests. And, you know, the bar is set low on these shows. And that's why <laughs> Brett exceeded my expectations. Um, but Rock of Love also gave us iconic characters like Heather. Like I said, Lacey, who was the evil villain. There was Jess. There was iconic Rodeo and her laugh. And we kind of got to see them on their journey of dating a rock star. And Brett definitely leaned into that trope, like from the Barbie movie, where the guy is playing guitar at you, because there are several episodes of him playing guitar at them, the acoustic guitar. And honestly, that is my worst fear, just sitting in a room with somebody else. And I have to stare at them playing the guitar singing a love song to me. I'm sorry, is there something wrong with me? I don't find that romantic at all. I honestly find that extremely horrifying. Like it, I just can't think of anything more awkward. I mean, like how many times do we have to sit and listen to you play Every Rose Has Its Thorn on the acoustic guitar? Like I get it. I get you're trying to revive your career, but still I, I give these women credit because I would be internally screaming or I would be like kind of panning to the camera, breaking the fourth wall, just like staring at it. <laughs> like just to get that clip. It, I just, I couldn't do it. But uh, like I said, I give a lot of these women on the show credit because obviously the formula of the show is you have to win challenges to win dates. And I don't know how I could do it because like you have to win these challenges to even get a chance really to talk to him. And some of these challenges were insane. They were like tackle football in the mud where they're like spraying a hose at you. That sounds horrible. And some of them would come with like really huge bruises on themselves. And just like, I would hate that. Or one of them in Rock of Love 2, one of the challenges was you had to assemble a motorcycle. Like in what world? If we were in a relationship, would I ever have to assemble a motorcycle for you? Like, what? It was just, I could not do it. And how does this, how does this earn dates? But I guess it, it makes good television. But um, the amount of partying they did as well was so insane. And I don't know how these people could do it because I would need some type of break. But they did so much partying that I heard a rumor that... They destroyed that house that they were in and they did so much damage to that house that they were in that VH1 got such a big lawsuit from the owners of that house, like pay for the damages because there it was just so extensive. And I, I believe it because they would just do the craziest stuff and they were drunk most of the time. So it was just people acting stupid. And on that note, though, little side note, whatever happened to these houses? Like I, the, these houses are such an enigma to me that they hosted these shows in because clearly these houses are built f with this in mind or they're built for reality television, right? Because like there's so many rooms in a row and these rooms are like massive these bedrooms are massive that you could fit like six beds into one and then there's like it's all in this big hallway and then there's like a big open area that you randomly could put a stage on and a stripper pole and then all of these guitars on the wall and also like a jacuzzi that's built into the floor in the middle of the living room like are people actually living here or like are they designed for, I don't know, like reality shows or 
who knows, like adult movies at or something like that. Because like, I don't think anyone's like casually living in that house full time. Like you're not having Easter Sunday at a house that has a jacuzzi built into the floor, right? Or maybe I'm just from the Midwest, but I don't know like that. These these houses are an enigma to me. Because is anyone actually living in them? Or are they just rented out for this reason? I would love to see a documentary on these houses. But I don't know if anyone's interested in that. But I certainly would be. Um, anyway, like I said, they did a ton of partying. There was um, so much damage done to the house. But I, I would be so tired. Especially like the amount of alcohol you're drinking. And I don't know about you, but like I could not party day after day after day and not have a complete breakdown, especially with the, those annoying people. You have Lacey screaming in your face and everybody else and the cameras and you don't have a TV. You don't have your own phone. You don't have any music. You can't really sleep because you got to get up and build a freaking motorcycle. It's just like I would have a complete meltdown and I need my alone time too. I, I've always lived alone because like I, I have my social battery and then I need to go and recharge. So I don't know how these people held it together. I don't know what I would even do because I would probably be in that pool. They always, those houses always had a nice pool. I would probably be in that pool just like staring off into oblivion, crying, or be in the phone booth on the phone with my sister, literally crying. And then they would edit it and all of America would laugh at me. But it's okay because I need that um, outlet. I don't know how these people did it. I give them so, so much credit because this is really no easy task. It really, like when you sit and think about it, it's very difficult. But it completely paid off because by the end of the first season, the finale had over 5 million viewers. Like the show was another smashing success. And these shows were really revitalizing careers. Like I was like 13, 14, 15 when these shows came out. I didn't know who Brett Michaels was. I didn't know who Flavor Flav was. Like that wasn't the music I grew up listening to. I was an emo kid or I listened to like Stone Temple Pilots and Britney Spears. Like that was, I was not listening to Poison and my parents weren't listening to that. They were listening to like Burt Bacharach and uh, Barry Manilow. So I didn't know who Flavor Flav or Brett Michaels were. I did know like the Poison songs because remember those infomercials that would come on at like two o'clock in the morning <laughs> with the love songs. And I remember the clip of Brett playing Every Rose Has Its Thorn. But I had no idea but I had no idea who they were before these shows. And now, even though they were famous back then, they were more famous than they ever had been. They were on two of the most well-watched shows in television at the time. Like they were very, very famous. These were doing so well um, for their careers. But Rock of Love was still pigging back off Flavor of Love. It was very similar tropes. And I think we didn't notice it as much of the time because there was no binge watching. And um, you could buy things on DVDs, but people weren't sitting and rewatching all the time. So I don't think we noticed how similar it was because even down to the point of like bringing back a former contestant to rile the girls up, like they brought back Lacey in season two just for one episode, but then they brought back Heather, who was the runner up in season one. They brought her back in season two for multiple episodes to get under the girl's skin. And I will say Heather was so brilliant because up until that point, in Rock of Love 2, there was five girls remaining and all of them were getting along so well. And then Heather comes in and 30 minutes later, they like all hate each other. Like she was so good at stirring the pot. And I did hear 
even though she was so great, she was really, really annoying to producers. So they were actually going to do like the exact same thing that they did on Flavor of Love 2 of bringing back New York and putting her back into the competition. But they said Heather was just so bad to work with, like the producers couldn't stand working with her, that they pulled the plug on that idea. I don't know if that's true. And I'm saying that allegedly, and it's a rumor that I heard, but I have heard it many, many times because I know Heather likes to go after podcasters and like threaten legal stuff. So like again, the DMs are open, Heather, if you want to reach out, but I would love to get Heather on the pod. Heather, if you want to come on the pod and clear it up, um, please, I would love to have you. Maybe I'll, sh- I'll shoot her an, uh, a DM or an email. would love to hear it. And even if the reasoning was like, hey, I thought I was more famous than I actually was. I was on a really popular television show and I got a little bit too big for my britches. I wouldn't even judge her. But I would love to clear that up, Heather. So maybe we'll get Heather on the pod. We can only we can only dream, right? So I'll, I'll see what I can do. But isn't that a crazy story? Like she would have been back in the competition just like they did on Flavor of Love, which is absolutely insane. So during this time, Flavor of Love 3 had three seasons, and so did Rock of Love. And this is when things kind of, I guess, started breaking the fourth wall after a couple of years, because we realized in season three, like Flav really wasn't that into it. He had just welcomed a child with the woman that he was seeing kind of in the off season of Flavor of Love. So we knew that he was in a relationship with this woman because I think he proposed to her on the Flavor of Love 3 reunion. So clearly he was seeing somebody else and he was doing this for ratings and he was doing this for a paycheck. He actually wasn't trying to find the love of his life on Flavor of Love 3 or or any of the other Flavor of Loves. And Brett, I mean, it was pretty obvious that his heart was never totally into it. He never even said, I want to find love. He would just say like, I just want somebody to kind of hang out with. And we learned that in the first season, even with Jess, because he picked Jess. And I heard that when after he dropped Jess off, at the end of the finale, after picking her, he dropped her off at the hotel and he was just like, all right, like, I'll see you when we play in Chicago. And that was it. So it was like, we kind of knew he was just kind of there for a good time. He was there to party. He was there to revive his career and take it to new levels and make a great TV show. So these shows had kind of run their course with the original celebrities because how far can it actually go? But the network, they needed to keep this going because this was a cash cow and they needed to keep feeding the cash cow. And that's when we were getting spinoffs of spinoffs of spinoffs of spinoffs of spinoffs where the contestants had now become the celebrities that people were vying for their love. And of course, this was first Isle of New York, and this was announced on the Flavor of Love season two reunion show. And I remember it so vividly, just how excited I was that she was getting her own show and like going to school the next day and discussing it with people. And just, we were all so excited. And this was just so, so good. New York was so good. The guys were so good. Sister Patterson was the best because she was the kind of the Greek chorus in a really 
harsh way to Tiffany. Like she would knock Tiffany down to size, but also when Tiffany was acting crazy, she would put her in her place. So she was really the backbone of the show. And it was just such an amazing, amazing show. There was um, there was really, really great characters too that came out of um, I Love New York. Of course, there was Chance, there was Real, there was Frank the Entertainer, but my favorite was Punk. I loved Punk from I Love New York. And it's funny because I took a college course back, I think I was like 20 years old. That was when I thought I wanted to become a teacher, which um, didn't work out so well. I was not cut out to be a teacher. Shout out to all the teachers. It's, it's just, I would have gotten eaten alive. But I um, was taking a class because I thought I wanted to be a teacher. And we all had to share something about ourselves. And the teacher was like, I have a brother who went to Harvard, but he didn't decide to pursue what he studied because he wanted to follow his dream of being a wrestler. And he got pretty popular and he had a child with Jennifer Hudson. And I was like, wait, in my head, I'm like, your brother is punk. And I wanted to go up to her so badly and be like, oh my gosh, like your brother is literally David Otunga punk from Isle of New York. And I didn't because she didn't mention in that speech that uh, anything about I Love New York. So I don't think they like to talk about it. I mean, their family, she wasn't on the show, but her sister was on the show when Punk brought his family to the show. But I I wish I would have gone up and just been like, wait, so your brother's Punk. Can you please give me some tea? Because I wound up dropping that class anyway, so it wouldn't have affected my grade. But she didn't mention it at all. So I thought mm, maybe she doesn't want to talk about it. But can we talk about how Punk literally has a child with Jennifer Hudson? Like these people definitely became very, very mainstream. And the show was truly amazing. And New York really held it down. New York got two seasons of the show. She also got New York Goes to Hollywood and New York Goes to Work. And there's a really interesting article um, in Rolling Stone recently because Tiffany New York Pollard was on um, uh, that show House of Villains. And it's an interesting article and it talks about how she changed the way of reality television for black women. And it's so true. She paved the way for so many people. Like I said, she was the blueprint. And I think because she has more outlandish moments, people don't give her her flowers for the fact that she really was the first black bachelorette in terms of I Love New York. Like that was the first time a black woman was the star of that kind of a formula of a love show. And it's truly so amazing. And I think she needs to get her flowers more because she really is an icon. And I think it's really cool for the people. I'm sure a lot of the people listening watched this live and watched this in real time. And it's amazing that New York is still so relevant and so successful, even more than Flav nowadays. And it's just, it's really amazing uh, what she's been able to do. I think a lot of us were brought up on New York and we were raised on New York and I think we all turned out great. So shout out to New York. She truly is seriously so amazing. But that spawned another spinoff of Real Chance of Love with Chance, Kamal Gibbons, and Real, his brother Ahmad Gibbons. And they had two seasons of their show, which I definitely watched. I'm not the biggest fan of Kamal Gibbons, Chance, RIP to Ahmad Gibbons, Real, who I really, really loved. He's such a good person. He passed away in 2015 after a battle with colon cancer, which is 
so tragic and because he's seriously such an amazing person and I loved watching him on TV but I am not the biggest fan of Kamal Gibbons because did anybody watch that one mo chance that it was a show on like Zeus TV and it I think it was in 2021 where it was giving chance a um love show again I didn't watch that but some of the clips I saw it was I was not into it. It was like very transphobic and homophobic. And in 2021, I was like, we're still doing this. Like this is, this is, we are not supportive of that on the Diving More podcast. If you haven't gathered that by now, I just, I did not like it at all from what I saw and definitely didn't watch that. And I know Tiffany got into hot water because she was involved with, there was one contestant on that show who they kept asking her if she was a man, even though she's a woman and just kept saying, well, you look like a man. We don't believe it. And it was just like really, really offensive. And I know Tiffany apologized and the apology was, I didn't think that great, even though I understand it's not my apology to accept, but I was unimpressed with the apology still. Um, But at least I know that Tiffany, she is an ally to the queer community. Chance, I know, isn't because even on all of his shows, he would make comments like that. And I just not a fan, not a fan of Kamal Givens. I never really have been. And I really think if we do deep dive these shows, we'll probably skip over Real Chance of Love because I think I'll be irritated the entire time talking about Kamal Givens, even though I would love a chance to talk about um, Ahmad Givens because I really like him. But I don't think it would be fun for anyone involved. I just, ugh, I, it just did not sit right with me. And if the fact that we're doing it in 2021 is just totally inexcusable because that's, I mean, that's something I have to address about these shows. When you rewatch them, they don't age well in a lot of different aspects. But I did read a comment from somebody and they were like, I think it's a good thing that we can watch these shows and cringe because it shows that we have evolved at least. And we know that the way some of these people are talking, it's not right. And it's good that we can recognize that now. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good perspective on this, but you're still acting this way two years ago. So clearly that's just how you are and not a fan of it. I'm really not a fan of it. But Real Chance of Love did very well. Like I said, it had two spinoff seasons and they were very, very popular stars. So it's interesting how it was spawning all of these careers because it started with Flav. If you look at the family tree, it has Flav, New York, and then you have Chance and Real. So it was spawning careers from contestants. It's really, truly amazing. Uh, But we also had my personal favorite, Daisy of Love. I loved that show mainly because of London. And I was dating guys in bands at the time. I was so attracted to that kind of guy. And I just absolutely loved that show. I also had a big crush on Flex, the runner-up. And Flex grew up very close to where I grew up. And during COVID, I went to my parents' house for like three weeks and stayed there. And that was when I was living in my really, really tiny apartment that I started diving board in. And I had like no kitchen. So I'd be like, oh, let's... um, cook now because I can be at a kitchen. I was at my parents' house. So I'd always be at the grocery store picking up ingredients. And one of the days I was there and I saw this guy and I was like, how do I know you? Like, where do I know you from? And I realized it was Flex. It was Flex. And he still looks good. He still looks good. I went back when I still had a Facebook. I was friends with him on Facebook. And I think he was like a multi-level marking person, which... 
I don't know, you do you, but um, he was selling that It Works. Do you guys remember that? He was selling that, um, which was kind of a curveball, but he was there. He was there at the grocery store and he was looking good. So definitely saw Flex. He's still kicking it. But this was also the first show that we saw a double contestant with 12 pack. 12 pack was also on Isle of New York. And then he came on Daisy of Love. So we were definitely seeing some crossover, which was always a lot of fun. Also, um, we did hear that Daisy of Love, well, we heard it from Heather. Heather said that Daisy of Love was not supposed to exist and it was supposed to be called I Heart Heather, but they didn't give Heather her show because she got into that fight with Daisy at the Rock of Love 2 reunion. Like, there's so many layers to this. Like I said, I can seriously talk about this forever. But I really want Heather to come on so that we can clear that up. Like, I want to hear Heather's side of the story. It might be, it might be a ride, but I'm totally willing to hear her out. Um, but after a couple of years that this went on, like I said, we were accumulating a lot of these great characters. And people, they wanted to see more of them. Again, like, this was a time that we didn't really have a lot of social media. We had MySpace. We had Facebook. But... People didn't post like they do now. Like, I think a lot of times what we watch are stories because we can watch that in real time. And we didn't have anything like that back then. So if we wanted to see these fun characters from VH1, we needed to see them on shows. So the really kind of breakout stars from the shows would get onto these spinoffs. And one of the most brilliant moves from 51 Minds, who's the producer of these shows, was creating a show where a lot of these people from all of these different shows, they would all cross over onto a show called I Love Money, where they put them in this big, huge, massive mansion in Mexico, and they would have to complete challenges, and the winner would win $250,000. So it was kind of like a survival-style show, but we had characters from Rock of Love, Flavor of Love, I Love New York. It was just so good. I rewatched that recently. I rewatched it like a week ago. It is still so good. You guys have to watch the first season of I Love Money because like I remember who wins and but I couldn't remember the steps it took to get there and all of the strategizing and the alliances. It is such a good show. I definitely recommend it. I actually watched it on um, Lacey has this, Lacey from Rock of Love has this streaming service for like $5 a month called Storm TV. And she has the shows on there. So it was totally worth the five bucks. And um, it was so, so good. She also has a cool reunion show on there with a lot of people from these shows. And you get to see them how they are now. And Daisy and London reunite. So it's definitely worth that. That's worth the five dollars alone. So definitely shout out to Storm TV. Um, I'm getting my money's worth. But I love I love money. You guys have to check that out. So um, like I said, the winner gets $250,000. So a lot of money back then. I actually did. Well, a lot of money now still. I actually did an inflation calculator, though, because, you know, money does not go far at all anymore. And um, that is the equivalent of winning $360,000 today. Like Insane. I mean, $250,000 is still a ton of money to win in 2023, even after taxes. But 
that literally $360,000. So that's a ton of money. And they were giving them that opportunity to win. It's such a good show. You guys have to check it out. But then we also had Flavor of Love Charm School and Rock of Love Charm School, also amazing, where they brought in the girls from the shows and said, like, you behave so, so badly. So we're going to send you to Charm School and turn you into a, a lady or whatever. And the winner of that would get $100,000. So lots of money at stake here. And this kind of goes to show like the caliber of these shows at the time and how many people were watching them and these big celebrities wanted to part in them. Like, do you know who hosted Flavor of Love Charm School? Monique. Like Monique literally is an Oscar winner. Like it doesn't really get much higher in the industry than an Oscar winner. Like Monique was the host of that show. It was before she won her Oscar, but still like seriously, like so high caliber. I mean, like even you thinking about punk, uh, had a son with Jennifer Hudson, another Oscar winner. And that's punk from Isle of New York. And when you look at Rock of Love Charm School, Sharon Osbourne hosted that show. Like these really high caliber people, like it got very, very mainstream. Like uh, Hoops, who won uh, Flavor of Love won, and she also loved I Love Money won. Spoiler alert, sorry, it's been out for a long time, guys. But, and I think if you're listening, you probably know. But uh, she was engaged to Shaq for a little while, like these people were becoming pretty mainstream. And like I said, we also had for the love of Ray J later on, like Brandy was on that show. because that's his sister. It was they were very, very popular. I know like this time in pop culture, people kind of like to make fun of because it is kind of like, quote, trashy. But there were some pretty high caliber people on these shows. So I will always give these people their flowers like they were producing very, very great television. And one of the, the biggest breakout stars from these spinoff shows was a woman named Megan Hauserman. So you know Megan if you watched Rock of Love 2 or I Love Money 1 or Rock of Love Charm School. Megan was definitely one of the bigger villains on those shows because Megan was very, very manipulative and she could manipulate people into doing what she wanted. And she also was just kind of a mean girl. Like she could say some of the meanest things you would ever hear, but keep like such the straightest face. She would never raise her voice. She would just be so calm, but say some of the most cutting things that if you weren't paying attention, you would miss them. But if you were paying attention, you would be like, wait, what did you just say? It's like some of the meanest stuff. So Megan definitely was the villain, but she also was really playing into that 2000s classic character of kind of the Paris Hilton character. She was blonde, she was tall, she always had her little chihuahua Lily, and she always walked around in bikinis. So she had a shtick. And it really, really worked for her because that became her signature and that became her character. But Sharon Osbourne really, really hated Megan on Rock of Love Charm School. And there was actually a physical fight and resulting lawsuit between Sharon and Megan at the reunion, which I will get into more if we do talk about uh, Rock of Love Charm School on these episodes, if you guys want me to, because I can't give it all up here. I do still have to have something to talk about in those episodes, but it was very, very intense. Um, but one of the reasons also that Sharon didn't really like Megan was 
Megan, like I said, leaned into that shtick and that character. And she would just talk about like, I don't really want to aspire to anything in life because all of charm school was getting these women to be independent. And that was kind of the challenges on that show. It's a great show. I love uh, Rock of Love Charm School, especially. It is laugh out loud funny. I am obsessed with it. So anyway, Sharon really did not like Megan because she said, well, I don't really want to do these challenges because I just want to be a trophy wife. Like, that's all I want to do. So that upset Sharon because obviously you don't go to charm school to tell them you want to be a trophy wife. But like I said, that was Megan's shtick. And it worked for her because, like I said, she was very, very smart. In I Love Money, she was able to manipulate things. She was able to just get her way. And she was very smart with how she spun this character because it made people interested in her and made her want to be on more of these shows. Megan actually was on a show in the early 2000s called Beauty and the Geek. Does anyone, I'm not sure if it was shown overseas, but it was an American show. I think it was on Fox. And do you guys remember this? It was like a really pretty girl and she was supposed to be quote unquote dumb. And there was a kind of quote unquote nerdy guy. And the guy, the nerdy guy was supposed to teach the beauty, uh, book smarts. And then the beauty was supposed to teach the geek kind of ways to be cool or ways to talk about or ways to talk to women. And Megan actually won that show because Megan, like I said, is very intelligent. Yet she wasn't supposed to be intelligent on TV because in the 2000s, you were not allowed to be pretty and smart at the same time or else, I don't know, the world would implode or something like that. But she had to play dumb. But I have a personal connection to Megan and I know firsthand she's very smart because Megan and I went to the same university. We are both graduates of the University of Illinois at Chicago, also known as UIC, and we also studied in the same program. We are both alumni of the College of Business Administration at UIC. Megan has a Bachelor's of Science in Accounting, and I have a Bachelor's of Science in Marketing. That accounting program is so difficult, or at least it was for me, because when you have a business degree, you have to have uh, classes in your business core of um, many different facets of business. So I had to take several accounting classes, and they were so difficult. They were so hard. And I was also in my Lindsay Lohan era at the time, so I was going out a lot, and I definitely could have been studying a lot more, but I passed those by like the skin of my teeth. So she is not stupid. Like If she could get an accounting degree from UIC, she is very intelligent. So that was, like I said, Megan Stick, and she was very smart of how she played it because her saying, I want to be a trophy wife, I just want to date rich guys. Mark Cronin and Chris Abrigo from 51 Minds, these are the producers of the Of Love shows, they're like, this is such a good concept of a show. Like, let's get these people uh, in where these men will have to prove that they're millionaires and they'll all get together and vie for Megan's love. And this show was going to be called Megan Wants a Millionaire. So in late 2008, they start casting for it and these men have to show their financials and prove that they're rich and all get together to be on the show to vie for Megan's love. And it started filming in early 2009 
And a bunch of men came to be on Megan Wants a Millionaire, and there was a contestant named Ryan Jenkins. Now, Ryan Jenkins, he was 32 years old. He was from Canada, and he was a real estate developer. And immediately, Megan was drawn to him. The producers say he was just very, very charismatic, and he wasn't the best-looking guy in the world, but he was cute, and Megan liked him. Megan did say from the jump there were some red flags, like, Uh, Like I said, you had to prove that you were a millionaire, but there were some red flags about Ryan that maybe he wasn't who he said he was in the sense of the money that he had because she said he would wear Rolexes that were so clearly fake or for a month long filming, he only brought one pair of pants. So (laughs) I'm sorry for laughing, but like, why is he only wearing one pair of pants? Like, I understand I understand the time frame. It's 2009. You're a real estate developer. It's peak recession. You've probably lost a lot of money recently. So I get if money's tight, but you couldn't have ran to the Goodwill and just picked up a couple of pairs of dress pants. And, you know, I get hung up on these little details, but those were those red flags where it's like, oh, maybe he doesn't have as much money as he's saying he does. Or maybe he did at one point, but lost a lot of it. Because there was also a challenge on Megan Wants a Millionaire that um, was a charity auction. And these men were supposed to bid on it. And Ryan didn't bid on anything. So regardless of these red flags, she still liked him. And he at one point gave her his phone number. And he's like, you know, text me, text me or call me when filming goes down. Because, I mean, I don't want to show the Oz behind the curtain, but these celebrities, they don't live in the the house with those contestants. Like at night, they go to a hotel and they stay in a hotel during the duration of filming. And even though you're not supposed to bring a phone in, there were so many seasons at this point that I think people knew how to kind of trick the system. Like, and this was 2009, you could get a little Nokia phone, give it to the producer and say, oh, no, that's my phone and keep your regular phone on you. So Megan was like, okay. And she reaches out to him. She's in her hotel room and they start kind of a phone relationship. They're texting, they're calling each other, and she really likes him. And they're really, really getting along. And he's telling her, you're the love of my life. And they really are just developing a very strong relationship. And Megan confides in him and she's like, I really think I'm I'm going to pick you. I'm going to pick you to be the winner. And as people start getting eliminated and people start dwindling down, she starts telling the producers, well, I, I'm going to pick Ryan when there's only a few people left. She's like, I'm really leaning towards picking Ryan. Now, the producers say that they're never going to tell somebody who to choose because then it's not real, but they're going to heavily encourage you who to choose. And like I said, the producers are the true villains of these shows. Like they're the masterminds, I guess. So they kind of told her, we can't pick Ryan. Point blank, we can't pick him. He comes off really, really bad in his confessionals. And he's really mean to the guys. Nobody likes him. And if you're developing any kind of strong feelings for him, he's just putting on. He's lying to you. And this is all just fake. So she's being told that she's like, wait, what? This is totally different than what I'm hearing from him every night. And I really like him. But they're telling her, no, you just can't. Because think about it. I like to think I have a PhD in reality television. So let's let's break this down. In a reality television formula of a of love show, the villain can never win. 
the villain can get just as far enough to add to the show. So maybe the last episode, the second to last episode, because we need them. We need them on the show to be entertaining. We need them to make the show fun, but they can never win because that's not satisfying. We want to see the likable person win because that's what prevails. The good person should always win, not the person who's been mean all season. And at the end of the day, Megan knows she's been on a bunch of TV shows at this point. She has to make good TV. She has to fit the formula. And, you know, if you go on a TV show to find love, no one is going on a TV show to actually find love. You're going on a TV show to be on a TV show. And if you find love, that's kind of just a happy accident. So Megan realizes, I can't choose Ryan. So she eventually eliminates Ryan. And I don't know the timeline because, of course, we didn't get to see the rest of the show. But she, um, second to last episode or maybe third to last episode, she eliminates Ryan. I think he became in third or fourth place. And he is absolutely in shock. He's dumbfounded because he really, really liked Megan. And so he's so upset and she's so upset because she also liked Ryan, but she kept thinking, you know, just give me a few days. Let me wrap up filming and I'll give you a call and we'll just, we'll finish this out. We'll see where it goes. Cause she's not interested in any of these guys. She was interested in Ryan. So Megan finishes up filming a few days, maybe a couple weeks later, she gives Ryan a call. They finish in maybe May of 2009. They finish, they wrap filming. She gives Ryan a call and she's like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, I have to tell you, I was so upset after filming wrapped. I went to Vegas. I got really drunk and I met the love of my life. I met the love of my life. Her name is Jasmine Fiore. And we decided to get married. We knew each other maybe a day. We decided to go to a chapel in Vegas and I have a wife. She's the love of my life. And Megan is like shook. She's like, wait, a couple of weeks ago, you were telling me I was the love of your life. But I guess, you know, he has a lot. He has he has a lot of loves. And Jasmine is his new wife. So he's over the moon happy. But a couple of weeks set in and there's already trouble in paradise. There is trouble in Las Vegas. And Ryan calls Megan and he's already saying, like, I we don't get along. We fight all the time. And she's like, what? And then they would get they would get back together or they would make up. So Megan realized right away, I need to get away from this guy. This sounds super toxic. And it just sounds like a really tumultuous relationship that he has with this woman. Because Jasmine would do the same thing. She would call an ex-boyfriend and then a couple days later, the ex-boyfriend would get a really mean text from Ryan and he's like, oh, well, she took Ryan back. So it was very, very up and down. And it's been said that when they would get into these fights, Ryan would do these grandiose gestures for Jasmine. And one of the big grandiose gestures that he did was go on I Love Money 3. Because like I said, this is the summer of 2009. If you're in real estate, you're probably hurting. So maybe Ryan at one point was doing really well, but it seems like he lost a lot of his money at the time. So going on Isle of Money was a good way to earn a paycheck of being on the show and appearance fee, but also possibly win that $250,000 prize. And it's theorized that Ryan and Jasmine kind of had a trade-off. Ryan is Canadian. He needed U.S. citizenship. And Jasmine was an American citizen. So he could, she could get him that citizenship. But in return, she wanted a nice lifestyle. And Ryan had promised her that lifestyle. So he knew he was on a lot of pre- under a lot of pressure 
to provide that for her. So he goes on Isle of Money 3. And Lacey from Rock of Love, she was on Isle of uh, of Money 3 with Ryan Jenkins. And she said he was just an absolute like beast in the challenges. He was laser focused to win every single challenge. Like you could not beat Ryan Jenkins because he was in good physical shape. So he could do the physical challenges, but he was also intelligent. I mean, he was able to make good money and be financially successful. So there was some intelligence there. So you couldn't really touch him in these uh, challenges when it came to strategy as well. So nobody could touch Ryan Jenkins. And he was just killing it. And he would call Jasmine all the time and just being like, I'm I'm going to give you the life that you've always dreamed of. I'm doing so well in these competitions. And they said that Jasmine really was making sure that he was doing well because she was promised something and she wanted her end of the bargain. So it said that he was calling her all of the time to tell her how great he was doing. But it's also said that he was calling her a lot to check in on her. He was very, very jealous of her, always saying like, who were you with last night? Where were you? What's going on? And they said the producers were actually creating a storyline because it was like, look at this guy. He married this young, beautiful woman and he's so jealous of her and he just wanted a trophy wife. But look, these are the repercussions because she's out all the time and he's so jealous. And now looking back, like that's so dark hearing that those were the telephone conversations. But these producers, like I said, are kind of the evil villains where they can take even the darkest moment and edit it to kind of make fun of this person. And they said it was really, really funny. And it's funny until it's not. And looking back, it's really, really gross. So they said that was kind of the situation. But Ryan was just dominating all of these challenges. So Isle of Money 3 wraps in August of 2009. And in early August of 2009, Jasmine Fiore goes missing. And in mid-August, August 15th, I believe, her body is found in a suitcase in a dumpster. An unhoused person is going through the dumpster and opens up the suitcase and finds her, which I feel so bad for that person. I can't even begin to imagine how traumatizing that is. So that person finds her and there's so much done to her body, which I don't want to get into it because this is not a true crime podcast. I hate talking about this stuff. I I used to be so into true crime, but I don't know if it's because I've gotten older and my maternal instinct has kicked in more, which is kind of a laugh because I can't even take care of a houseplant, but I hate listening to this stuff. But anyway, it's part of the story. There's so much done to her body. And you could look this up if you want to know more that she is completely unidentifiable. And the only way that they were able to identify her was through the serial numbers on her breast implants. Because when you have breast implants, there's serial numbers on each implant. So they were able to look up that serial number and it traces back to her. That was the only way they were able to realize that this was Jasmine. So immediately they want to know where's her husband? Where is Ryan? Ryan's nowhere to be found. Ryan has skipped town. Nobody can find him. Nobody can contact him. So immediately he's a suspect. Immediately he's a person of interest and they want to find him. They've alerted the Canadian border saying, please, if you see him, arrest him. They're looking for him all over Southern California. They cannot find him. And the FBI is tracing everything. They, they cannot find Ryan Jenkins. So a little over a week later, 
they find Ryan Jenkins in a hotel room in British Columbia, Canada, and he has unalived himself. And after they find him, it is obviously concluded that he is the one who did that to Jasmine. Now, this is absolutely horrifying on so many levels because not only, I mean, Jasmine's friends and family and Jasmine herself has to deal with this heinous, heinous crime, but Ryan is currently on a television show that is currently airing. So you have a murderer on a television show at the very moment. So immediately, immediately VH1 pulls the show. I think there was maybe three or four episodes in. They pull Megan Watts a Millionaire. It's completely off the air. That entire show is completely done. Megan Hauserman said after that, she was basically a pariah. All of her social engagements, anytime she was booked, any club appearances, it's automatically canceled. No one wants to touch Megan Hauserman because nobody wants to profit off of this tragedy. So her career ended. They completely lose that show. And also, they completely lose I Love Money 3. It completely ends up on the cutting room floor because Ryan Jenkins was on that show. And Ryan Jenkins won that show. That's the completely chilling part as well, that he dominated so much because he was so focused and it seems like he was so jealous and came home and just completely snapped. And it's just a psychopath and went completely crazy. And unfortunately, the victim was Jasmine Fury, who was totally innocent in this situation. And he just couldn't handle what was going on in his life. And it's just so awful. So they couldn't use anything with Isle of Money 3. And it's, you know, couldn't even be like a, um, like, what was it, season 12, RuPaul's Drag Race with Sherry Pie. After her scandal, they were able to edit her out, where it basically was just she never even was there. They couldn't do that with Ryan Jenkins because he won everything. He won the whole show. So it was, it was totally done. Nobody could use it. And pulling these shows was such a huge financial burden to 51 Minds because each of these productions was about $6 million. So Mark Cronin has said that it was about a little over $12 million altogether when they pulled these shows and VH1 wanted their money. So Mark Cronin needed to pay $12 million to VH1 because they sued him. So it just became such a huge financial burden for the production company. And you may be wondering to yourself, you're probably wondering to yourself, don't they do background checks on these people? Don't they vet these people? And they do. And they had employed this vendor collective intelligence. It was a woman-owned company for their background checks. And she said her account with 51 Minds, she had done over 500,000 background checks on these people. And they had done one on Ryan Jenkins. But you have to remember, Ryan Jenkins was Canadian. So his United States background check came back clean. And so did his Canadian one. But he wasn't clean because he had a previous domestic violence arrest in 2005. But his dad had a little bit of power and got that arrest expunged meaning it wasn't on his record anymore. So if that were on his record, yeah, that would have canceled him from the show. And it just makes me wonder, like, would it have been this entire butterfly effect 
And if that, if she, he wasn't on that show, he probably wouldn't have met Jasmine and Jasmine probably still would have been here today. So it's so chilling to think about. So of course, collective intelligence went out of business because it was such a scarlet letter on her company because how could you have let this happen? And it was also such a big scarlet letter on 51 Minds. 51 Minds has since rebounded in a big way. They created Below Deck, which is the biggest Bravo show right now. So they've rebounded, but for the longest time, they also had that scarlet letter. Nobody wanted to watch those shows. Even in 2010, uh, they released more of love shows. There was one for Love of Ray J season. There was also Frank the Entertainer in a Basement Affair, but nobody really wanted to watch those anymore. The Bloom was off the rose. So much had happened. We had seen all of this unfold before our very eyes, and it was just kind of like, what the hell happened? How could you have let this happen? And after that, nobody wanted to go near a 51 Minds production, especially one on VH1. And VH1 really didn't want anything to do with 51 Minds either. So these shows, Frank the Entertainer and A Basement Affair, that really tanked, even though Frank the Entertainer was a great character. And they also tried to do an I Love Money 4. Even though they couldn't air I Love Money 3, they tried to keep going, but that also tanked. To put it into perspective, the I Love Money 1 finale had nearly 3 million viewers. The I Love Money 4 finale had 500,000 viewers. It was just such a huge fall from grace and nobody wanted anything to do with it anymore. So many people lost so many opportunities because of Ryan Jenkins, lost so many careers. It just the course of their lives was completely changed because of this psychopath and what he did. And don't get me wrong, the true victim here is, of course, Jasmine. She is the true victim. She lost the most. She lost her life. And it's just, oh, it sends a chill down my spine. But he did so much more and is such a selfish person that he changed the course of so many people's lives. And it's so chilling to think about. But unfortunately, it's part of this story. I don't want to tell this story, but it's it's part of it, unfortunately. And the only slight silver lining of this is that it really changed the course of reality television. The way that they vet these people on these shows is so much more rigorous because they never want this to happen ever again, where this was airing and all of this happened and we were watching him on, on television every week. They never wanted this to happen ever again. The conditions for people on reality shows are much safer now because of this incident and uh, professional setting in reality television because of what happened. So unfortunately, that's kind of the of love shows and I wish that wasn't the story, but that is kind of how they ended. Nobody wanted to watch it anymore after this. So it's unfortunate that such a huge moment in pop culture had to end like that. And I know a lot of these shows get accused of being scripted, but you can't script anything like this. It's just the truth is always going to be stranger than fiction, unfortunately. Um, but if you are interested in hearing more about these shows, please let me know because I would love to deep dive more. I have so much more to say. And um, just let me know if you're interested. Also, if you're interested in what 
a lot of these characters are doing now. Lacey Scholes has a great podcast called Talk of Love, which she interviews a lot of these people. And it's really, really great to hear from them. Because like I said, I think a lot of theirs, their careers were cut short. Um, and like I said, I don't want to sound that this is more important because in the grand scheme of things, Jasmine is the true victim. But a lot of these people suffered from the hands of Ryan Jenkins. And it's great that Lacey can talk to them and we get to hear their story and we just get to know that they're doing okay because they were such a big part of our lives. So definitely a great podcast to check out. And I would love to get Lacey on the podcast. I'm going to try. We'll, you know, we'll just keep trying to get somebody and um, speaking it into existence because I think she has an amazing story to tell and I would love to hear it. So hopefully we we can get Lacey or maybe Heather or somebody. I'm, I'm going to keep trying for the divers because I think it would be really, really awesome to talk to. But let me know if you want to hear more about these shows because like I said, I have so much more to say. But thank you so much for listening. I know it was a very sad ending to a really, really fun time. And unfortunately, that's just the story. But thank you for listening to the story. And if you learned something from this episode or found it interesting, I would so appreciate if you rated me five stars on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. We have to even out the bad reviews that we've gotten from uh, the previous episode. <laughs> I'm just joking. I it's all, it's all good. It's all okay. But if you like this episode, I would so appreciate the rating. Um, if you would love to follow the podcast on Instagram, we would love to have you. You can find us at Diving Board Pod on Instagram. And of course, that is B-O-R-E-D. I also post what's going on in my life. So if I don't post an episode, check out the Instagram. You can see why I'm probably traveling for work or just really busy. So if I am home consistently, I am always going to post an episode. So just keep an eye out. But if you, we would love for you to join the party over on Instagram. And I would also really appreciate if you enjoy listening to the podcast for you to follow me here on Spotify or wherever you're listening to the podcast, because you will find out about the episodes before anybody else does. So please hit that follow button. And I always will give it a few days before I promote it on Instagram. So you'll know about the episodes before everybody else. So if you're so inclined, I would love to have you as a follower. But thank you just so much for such a great year. Everyone, like I said, who's listened, sent me messages. I've just... This started as a hobby and it has allowed me to meet some incredible people from all over the world and talk to people who like the same things I do. And it's just been amazing. It's really started as an outlet for me to just talk about my favorite topics and voice my opinions and maybe ruffle some feathers along the way, which, you know, that comes with the territory. But really, the greatest gift has been talking to all of the divers from all over. It's just been incredible. And I never in my wildest dreams would I think that would happen. So thank you so much for making this the best year yet for diving board. And I'll probably talk to you at least one more time before the year ends. But I'm in a reflective state and just so, so happy and grateful for all of you. So thank you all so much. And I will talk to you all very, very soon. But until then, take care, everyone.